All right, guys, Greg Scheinman here. It is Midlife Mail podcast time. Thank you so much again for joining me. I say it week in, I say it week out. I can't do this if it wasn't for you guys, for the support, for spreading the word, for helping the Midlife Mail podcast and movement grow, to the amazing guests that come on each and every week. I am extremely grateful. So thank you. This week, I've got Jamie Roots. He's the president of the Houston Texans. This is super cool. Um, I haven't really sat down and spoken to Jamie in like this in detail um, in probably almost 15 years since we did a TV show together back in the day. I followed him around for a day. He was at a different age and a different stage in his life and career, personally and professionally. So it's cool to circle back and have him on again now and talk about you know what's what's changed and what's happened in both of our lives. He's become a good friend and he's certainly an incredible leader, an incredible mentor. He has had incredible success and stability in an industry and business of of sports and entertainment that is typically not known for for stability um, and being in the same place for for too long. And he is also now a newly published author of a book called The Winning Game Plan. You know, here is your playbook for continuous business success by Jamie Roots, somebody who knows about having continuous business success. He is also a humble servant leader um, and acknowledges it's right there on the book itself. As a leader, you don't know everything and you never will. So as you level up in your leadership trajectory, you're going to have to release some old stuff, even if you think that old stuff is what got you to where you are. Every new leadership opportunity you face, whether it's leading a new company or department, starting your own enterprise, or flexing your leadership muscles, is a chance to grow as a leader and as a human being. That's what this book outlines, and it's a world-class approach to leading a business, any business, to exceptional and sustained success. It does not have to be about sports. Sports just happens to be the medium and the platform in which Jamie works. It's a bestseller. The Wall Street Journal, US Today, Amazon, no surprise there. The proceeds of this book go to charity as well, which is awesome. And I expected nothing less um, from somebody of Jamie's character. I really enjoyed catching up with him. Uh, he just has such an incredible insight and is so positive about everything. I don't think you can find a picture out there of Jamie speaking, working, living, doing anything where he is not smiling, just kind of grinning from ear to ear. And, you know, back when we could really go to football games, I remember walking around the stadium. I didn't go to that many, but. I'm going to take him and go to a bunch of them and be walking through the club level around. And here comes Jamie. And he always takes the time to stop, say hello, shake your hand back when you could do that also. Talk to you, smile with you, connect with you, and make you feel, even in a second or two, just those brief moments, make you feel super important. And if he is 100% focused and attentive to you and Boy, God only knows how many things must be running through his head and how many things he has to do at that specific time. And all he's trying to do is get from point A to point B. So I think that just those type of things really tell you about an individual. And they're the kind of people you want to go to work for. They're the kind of people you want to work with. 
and they're certainly the kind of people you want to learn from. So let's do that now on the Midlife Mail podcast with Jamie Roots. Jamie, good morning. Good morning, Greg. And I just want to say thank you to you. You've been a tremendous champion of me since I've been here in Houston. You've provided me with so many opportunities that have opened my eyes on things that I could do. And and uh, just, you know, success has many fathers and mothers, and you're one of them. Well, I appreciate that very much. You are definitely one of the most inspirational and positive people I know. So it's certainly easy to support and get behind. Um, what was it, man? It was about what, almost 15 years ago that we did a TV show together. Yeah. yeah and it was, uh, you know, we had that Brady Bunch moment in the morning where you came over and visited with my family at seven o'clock and you don't know how hard it was for us to get their faces clean and get them in clothes that looked presentable. But uh, we, we looked like we were from uh, a Norman Rockwell painting, but uh, that's not the way it normally is. Well, you did it very well. Um, and again, the consummate, you know, family man um, with your kids, your wife, Melissa, and you know, what a great kind of pillar of the community you guys um, have become. I want to, I want to talk a little bit um I'm going to farm all over you for, for, for a while here, but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, even just that time period, you know, you go back 15 years, you've been on 40 under 40 lists multiple times, you know, and here we are now. Um, how do you perceive things or see things differently now, kind of at this age and stage than maybe when we did first sit in that, you know, in that kitchen, you know, at your house? <laughs> Well, at, at that point, I mean, if you if you imagine a mountain climber, at that point, I was about halfway up the mountain. There was a lot I still le- needed to learn, and I needed to demonstrate my commitment to my my family and to our community. And certainly, was still developing as a leader. I feel now that uh, you know I've I've I'm at the top, and I'm turning back around to help others up the mountain. That's part of this. Uh, the rationale for the book that I've written is I think I've, I've been blessed to have so many great mentors, so many great influences. I mean, whether it's uh, Harvard or Indiana or Clemson, uh, all of the great publications that I've read, the books that I've read, the podcasts I've listened to. And I've just tried to you know, consolidate that into something that people can digest. And hopefully, as I have in all of the books that I've written uh, read, they can walk away with a couple of things that they could be doing immediately to improve their lives, whether they're uh, business people, leaders in sports, you want to raise a great family. All of these principles are uh, applicable to anything you want to do in your life. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You make a great point um, talking about reading and listening um, and having mentors. I feel like people get so caught up, you know, guys that get so caught up in the, you were mentioning, you know, pushing the boulder, you know, up the mountain, you know, climbing that mountain, the hustle and the grind, um, and kind of the busy in a way versus productive, that it's really interesting for you to talk about reading and listening um, and having mentors. Um, talk a little bit, you know, about that too, about finding the time and why that's so important to you. Uh, to, to having mentors, why that's so important? You know, just, I guess, the, the difference between, you know, just you're grinding and you're doing and you're working versus taking the time to step back again to read and listen and be around other successful people. Well, when I first started, um, maybe it was here in, eh, I would say in Columbus, 
my vision was at some point in time, I'm going to get to a place where I work because I want to, not because I need to. And I'm there. I could easily leave today. The reason I stay with the Houston Texans is because I love the McNair family. I love the people that I get a chance to work with. Our partners are amazing. I love our season ticket members. I love the experience of going to Texans games. I love winning. I don't love losing, but that shows that you're alive, right? You, you at least feel something. So as long as I'm inspired by what I'm doing, I'll continue to do it. But, it, you know, I, I really thought there was something more I can be doing now. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's why I've spent the time to, you know, not only write a book, but beginning to do speaking engagements, doing podcasts is, you know, for, you know, I, I've been blessed and it's incumbent upon me to uh, help the, help the next people in line to get where they want to go. Yep. You know, where does this drive come from, you know, that, that you have, you know, again, you get to the, to the top of that mountain, you get to the position that you're in. And now in a way you're kind of, you know, you're not hitting it at the reset, but you're still actively doing exactly what you want to do. But you're saying, okay, I'm going to now do more. Again, I'm going to find the time to write. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to speak. Where, where do you think that drive comes from? Well, one of the, the points in the, the book that I've written, The Winning Game Plan, you mentioned it earlier, available at Amazon, um, <laughs> is, uh, and it's all for charity, just so you know, is uh, in handling success, one of the things that for the, the fifth play in handling success in the book is to keep going. And so w- when we first met, I was at a point that all I could handle was the leadership of the Houston Texans. A few years later, I was like, you know what? I got this. What else? And that's when I started being actively involved with the Greater Houston Partnership in the United Way of Greater Houston, became the chair of the of, uh of the Greater Houston Partnership. We brought a Super Bowl here. Um, and then uh, United Way being the chair the last two years. I'm just constantly thinking of those things that will round out uh, myself so that I'm always going forward. If you're going forward, uh, you, you never get you never get complacent. I think once you get complacent, you're toast. And so that's why I have I have filled my time with things and and my staff are so talented they've been with me for 20 years at least the leaders have they know what they're doing and they know where to find me and if they don't need me find enough i've got other things that i'm working on mm. you know it's also interesting to see you know when we scheduled this you know what puts a smile on my face is that the names you know the names on the emails of, of you know scheduling you and getting you on the calendar you know to do this to see the same names you know, on the email, as you mentioned, your team that has been with you for so long, um, and you've been with the organization and and the Texans and the McNair family, you know, for for so long, it's almost unheard of in an industry, you know, like it, like it, yours. Um, spend twenty years doing something is is not normal. Hmm. What do you attribute that to in terms of? Again, developing relationships and obviously working through conflict and loyalty. I mean, this is an unbelievable track record of consistency. Well, I don't know that it'll last forever, you know, but I think about my relationship with Melissa, just like every relationship you contemplate, is there something better occasionally? And the answer has come back every time. Nope. She's beautiful. She's supportive. She's sweet. She's a great mom. We make a great team. 
And uh, just like with work, you know, should I be doing something else? What else would I do? I've just, I've never had a good answer for that. But at some point in time, I'm sure I'm going to have to contemplate that. But the answer has always been, I work for great people. I've got great, uh, I have great people working for me. Um, and, uh, and, and what we do is really important. And so until I come up with an answer that's different than the one I've had for 20 years, I'm just going to keep doing it. Mm. You know, we, we jump right in and you just, again, radiate positivity. Um, and it's, you know, I see it at the games, you know, we're walking around, I'll pass you. I mean, there's always a smile on your face. You're waving. We've been in a number of different functions, you know, together and then in and around the neighborhood. Are you always this positive or is there a time that you take for yourself, like a, a private place or something you do where, Hey, I allow myself to go negative you know, a little bit, you know, or things do get to me. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. I, I do believe there's a, there's a quote from Gandhi that, you know, be careful in your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. Be careful in your words because your words become your actions. Be careful in your actions because your actions become your habits. Be careful in your habits because your habits become your destiny. So by the law of transitivity, your thoughts create your destiny. And why in the world would I want to have negative thoughts if I want to have a positive a destiny? I was reading a book by, um, or rereading a book by uh, Napoleon Hill yesterday. It's called, uh, no, uh, no, Zig Ziglar, See You at the Top. And, uh, and, and Zig Ziglar, one of his six things that you have to be in order to be truly as successful as you can is to have a positive attitude. He quoted a, uh, a Harvard research study that came back that 85% of success in life is due to your attitude, only 15% attributable to the skills that you have. So why in the world would I want to think negatively? Mm. Can you train that? You know, again, as a leader yourself, can you train that? Or when you are hiring, recruiting, building out your teams as you have, um, is that something you feel that that's intrinsic? You know, I can't teach that or coach that or lead that. I'm looking for people that already have that. Yeah, I think I think those are the we have two non-negotiable um, talents that we hire for. Actually, there's really three. And anytime that we are hiring somebody, I'll interview them, but I'm going to ask the hiring manager, do they have the three non-negotiables? A great work ethic, a winning attitude, and a desire to operate consistently with the values of the Houston Texans. If you have those three things, we can teach you anything you want. If you're negative, if you're, if you're not a good team player, if you're not optimistic, I can't teach you that. I can teach you everything else. Mm. What are those values of, you mentioned, you know, the values of, of the Houston Texans and how is, how is something like that put together? I mean, this is a team that was brought to Houston. You know, I mean, that's another interesting opportunity, I think, um, you know, to literally start a team um, in the market that had one previously. So you can, in a way, start from scratch there and create your own value system. Yeah, I, I have very few talents, but one that I do have is the talent of creativity that I can look at a blank sheet of paper or like a, like a, like an artist, right? When they talk about artists that work in, in a stone, that they look at a big hunk of stone and they see the piece that they want to create. All they have to do is re- remove the excess. And I approach 
organizations the same way. I know exactly what we're trying to create. I just, it just hasn't been done yet. Right. And so I had that opportunity in Columbus, Ohio. I had that opportunity here in Houston. And in terms of culture, I'm, I'm the culture champion. I, the culture belongs to me. Uh, and I, we put it and, and it can't, culture can't sit on the wall in terms of your values. You really have to translate it into habits that you're looking for. Uh, because that's that's the core of culture. You're all, you are what you consistently do. And so we created an acronym about 15 years ago, and it's I-M-P-A-C-T, impact. Overall, that says what we're trying to do. We want people that want to make a difference, but they need to be innovative. They want to be memorable. They need must be passionate, accountable, courageous, team-oriented. And that idea of passion is so misunderstood. I always, you know, when I when I heard of the passion of the Christ, I did not understand what that meant originally because it did not look like a fun experience. But passion is not about fun. Passion, the root word of passion is patty, which is a Latin word that means the willingness to suffer and sacrifice for what you hold dear. And so the folks here, they have a whatever it takes attitude because they have a passion for what we're doing. They're willing to suffer. They're willing to sacrifice. They're doing. They're willing to do whatever it takes for us to be successful. And when you have 150 people operating with one heartbeat, it's amazing what you can get accomplished. Mm. How do you drill down and define you know that success, that winning um, beyond, let's say, the win loss column? You know, because there's so much that goes into an organization and an operation that you lead uh, off the field. You know, like what we can see as in the public, you know, or read in the papers is one thing, but everything you're talking about in terms of impact and being committed um, and being successful uh, has so many other variables and elements, you know, to it. Well, Greg, that's a great point. And when I first came to Houston, People told me over and over and over again, if you win, people will come. If you lose, they won't come. That's the way it's always been. You're not going to buck the trend. Don't even try. In fact, Houston, the Houston Oilers still hold the record for the most blackouts in NFL history, meaning that they didn't sell their games out. So, you know, I, and, 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 but I always believed. And belief is not about, not about seeing. If you go back to the Bible and the, uh, the story of the doubting Thomas, you know, he, he had to put his hands in Christ's uh, hands and feel the nail marks. And he had to put his hand in his side before he would believe. And Christ said, you know, now you believe, but blessed are those who have not yet seen and still believe. And so I had a just a hardened belief that we could buck the trend. I got the right people around me that also believed in that uh, vision. And we've been able to do it. We've sold out every game we've ever played. We have a wait list of 30,000. And it's because we have these three imperatives, win championships. And it's not about actually winning. It's about being totally committed to winning, doing whatever it takes to build a winning franchise. Number two, create memorable experiences. Experiences are much more valuable than, than items, than physical items. And if you create an experience that touches people emotionally and it bonds people together, that's, that, that's priceless. So you really can't charge too much for it. And then number three is to do great things for Houston. We have to be, you know, a strong Houston leads to a strong Houston Texans. And those are the only three things we do. 
but we do them better than anybody else on the planet. Yep. Well, well said. I love the title of the book. I want to come back to the book a little bit. Um, the, the winning game plan and particularly, I love the, the playbook. I love the word, the playbook. Tell me a little bit about when you started designing your personal you know, leadership playbook. Uh, well, it was about 30 years ago. <laughs> and I've just been adding to it. I, I'm an avid or have been historically, as you know, an avid public speaker. So mm-hmm. over the last 30 years, maybe the last three or four, I don't do keynotes anymore because it just takes too much time. I'll just I'll do an interview. No problem for anybody. But but I'm not going to not going to spend the time to create the uh, keynote. But what I did originally was someone would call and say, hey, we've got the association of uh plumbers and pipe fitters that are coming together. We've got a thousand people. We'd love for you to do the keynote. I'm like, great. How about leadership? Great. So I would just sit and think about what is the most interesting leadership concept that I'm working with right now that I'm trying to make part of my repertoire. And the best I've I've just found that when, when I was at Clemson, the soccer team, I was the guy that our players would come to and say, Jamie, teach me this school wise. And so I would sit down and I would teach them concepts. And it was, it was, I mean, it was a kind thing for me to do for them, but it was actually even more important for me because if I could teach it to somebody else, I really knew it. And it's the same thing with these uh, keynotes that if I could put together a well-organized conversation over an hour about a leadership concept, I absolutely had it down. And so all I had to do with this book is take all of those keynotes and maybe a few other added elements, write some stories that illustrate that, and I was done. Mm. When you talk about writing, um, is that process for you? Is it actually sitting down and writing? Um, is it voice notes? You know, what's your what's your process? Is it throughout the day? Just yeah, boom, thoughts pop in, or you culminate something? What I, I'm fascinated by how the writing process takes shape. Well, as you can imagine, I had zero experience in it, uh, but my publisher assured me that, you know, they, that it would work out fine. They would coach me through the entire process. And they did. They did a great job. Um, Anita Henderson was my editor. And, and if you ever want to write a book, call Anita. She's in Atlanta. She's the best. So um, <laughs> what I, I, I tried over about a month and a half, and I could not get myself to have the discipline to sit down and write. I would always find something else to do, typically going to play golf. Um, But eventually I did sit down and I didn't sit at a keyboard. I didn't write on a piece of paper. I just grabbed my phone and I talked into my phone and I would spend hours, I mean, six hours at a time and have a list of all the things that my editor said I needed to flesh out. And just one by one, I would flesh those out until I got to a revised manuscript. I sent it back to her. She ripped it apart again. I sent it back. We just went back and forth. In about seven months' time, the book was done. Mm, that's that's a really short period of time. But then again, you talk about you know thirty years worth of worth of speeches <laughs> and experience leading up to it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it was the the, the framework was there. I just needed to flesh it out. Fortunately, we're in this uh, COVID time frame. Because a lot of my work, in that I have such an experienced staff, a lot of my responsibilities are outside of the organization, representing the organization and the community. And just think about one, one United Way presentation 
would likely take me four hours in the non-COVID world, driving there, getting there early, even getting dressed, you know, putting on a tie and a suit and all that stuff. So you start stacking those things together. I had a lot more capacity to uh, work uh, on the book than, uh, than I normally would have. And so while it wasn't because of COVID, but I, I think COVID facilitated the uh, writing of the book. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that. Um, and, it, and it's an excellent point about how much time and how much bandwidth we have been able to take back uh, during this. We certainly can't ignore COVID. Um, and, and that when, we, when we're telling some of the story of what's going on right now, you mentioned earlier about the power of experiences, you know, and experiences over things. Um, what lens are you seeing that through, you know, now with the organization? Because the experience that you can provide, um, I think both internally with your with your team and your corporate culture and also to the general public, you know, the experience is different right now. And and how are you seeing that? Yeah, I, I, around July, I started to get depressed um, thinking about hosting games as we've done for 19 years or whatever. And I knew there was going to be pressure if we could to bring fans back. And I did not want to do that because I did not think the experience would be anything near what we've done historically. Then we went to play Kansas city and I'd actually talked to my good friend at the chiefs, um, Mark Donovan, who's the president. I was like, are you serious? You're going to bring fans back. He said, yep, we're doing it. So we drive up to Arrowhead, and my whole mindset shifted in a flash. I smelled the smoke of the tailgaters. I saw the smiles on people's faces. Uh, they should have had masks on, but, you know, you get to <laughs> But we go into the suite, and I just started thinking, this, is, this isn't normal, but it's a sense of normal. And how selfish of me to think that I should decide – whether our fans can come to games or not. And so immediately when I got back, we started doing the hard work to gain approval from the city and the county and the state in order to bring fans back to the stadium. You know, only 12,000, but we've, uh, we, and we've not been able to reinstitute tailgating and probably won't for the balance of this year, but it's some sense of normalcy. And so there are a lot of people who don't want to come and there are some that do. And for the ones that do, we need to be available for them. And we'll get back to normal next year. It'll be all of what it has been historically. But for this year, we're just going to muddle through. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Are you, again, being as positive as you are and seeing this from a leadership position, You know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, to please, or at least try to please in a way, everyone. And what I mean by that is there. You know, there are some of us that as great as the experience unquote, is for the general public when we were back to normal, okay? it is a, it's a large crowd. It's in and out. It's parking. It's tailgating. It's the energy in the stadium. There is also now something to be said. I've gone to a couple of shows and a couple of things where we now have scheduled entry times. You know, we now are with only our party, you know, of people, you know, in or out. There are some interesting things Um you talk about creativity, that entrepreneurs and businesses have gotten creative in terms of ways to provide an experience. And some of those things are, are pretty good. Do you, do you see that too, saying there may be some elements of, the, of 
what we're doing during COVID that even if all the restrictions and everything went away, we may want to keep some of that or do some of those things still. Greg, that's a great point. And that's something that we're wrestling with right now. We'll, we'll uh, I have a, a quarterly review we'll do next week and we're going to talk about the, the ideas that we want to continue after COVID uh, ends, which it will at uh, some point in 2021. 20, but just a couple of examples. I, I've said often that we did five years of innovation in five months regarding the game experience, mm-hmm. from hard tickets to fully 100% mobile tickets, going cashless, having touchless transactions, having the ability to process credit cards at the parking gates. Um, all these things we would not have, we would have gone very slowly into. Now they've just become normal, right? And so I, I think that's been one of the silver linings. Another silver lining in, in the COVID experience, because I, uh, there's this uh, fable or, you know, this, the Chinese symbol for uh, crisis is a combination of danger and opportunity. Everybody sees the danger because it's clear and present. You absolutely have to deal with that. But it takes a little bit more to see the opportunities. It takes a confidence and a, and a, and a calm to see the opportunities. And one of those, we, we've always wanted to get into the fitness business. And, and I know you're into fitness as well. So the uh, uh, 24-hour fitness you know, got, fell on hard times because of the amount of debt that they have. Well, we've mm-hmm. been able to snap up one, two, three, four, five leases so far for Texans fit locations. They'll all be open by mid-year next year. And that would have taken us, you know, a generation to be able to launch that kind of uh, platform for fitness. But we're crushing it. And so that's an opportunity that's come out of COVID that's been a tremendous blessing. Well, I think that's fantastic. I mean, to be able to, again, put yourself out into the community in a manner where you can be promoting health and wellness, um, sustainability, longevity, building immunity, you know, committing to fitness, um, I, I think is I think that's a great thing. And I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's pretty amazing right there. Well, I think everybody's walking around with a COVID-20. So when all this uh, lifts, we're going to have to all get back to our fitness facilities and lose some weight. <laughs> no, def- definitely. Let's continue to push forward uh, on that. It brings me to actually, I'm glad you mentioned that your your routine personally, I and mean, again, you're a high energy guy. How does your day kind of start and end? What is your routine? Yeah. So uh, start like this morning. I'll just give you this morning. It, uh, I was up at five. Uh, did some personal things, read the paper, checked the email, make sure it, nothing blew up overnight. <clears throat> uh, worked on a few projects at home, and then I was here by uh, 7.15. We had a conference call with the Texas Bowl to talk about who are going to be the teams in the game this year. Uh, had a number of other calls that I was on, uh, things related to the stadium, some one-on-ones with my staff. Um, and then this podcast, I've got another one that I'm doing this afternoon. Um you know, my day is packed from beginning to end, but all with stuff that I want to do, stuff that really matters to me. Um, and then I try to get home about seven with uh, with my family, and hopefully we can find a way to have dinner together. My son's back from TCU. My daughter's at Episcopal, and so and she's very active. She's got cheerleading, and she's got lacrosse, and she's got her buddies. So we, we can only get together a couple of times a week. Um, and that's about it. I head to bed. Mm. How has it been on on – 
the kids. Um, and how have you been approaching the situation as a family? Are they back to normal in school in their sports, as you were mentioned? Or what was it like when, when they weren't? Did that change your your day-to-day? Um, feel that they there were voids, you know, that you were trying to fill in their in their development? I mean, I've got two boys myself. We've talked about this. Um, it's been it's been a challenging time. Yeah, my son Chris was in his senior year of high school. So the spring was really difficult, but credit to them. Neither one of them complained. My daughter was uh, a virtual learning and actually Episcopal was a, was a national model for, because of how quickly they were able to pivot to a, uh, a virtual learning environment. Um, my son did virtual learning as well, uh, finished his senior year. I really felt bad for him because your senior year in high school, you know, it really ought to be something special, but they had to operate a little bit differently. Neither one of them complained. Now uh, that we've gotten to the fall, their lives are fairly normal. I mean, still some virtual education going on for both of them. But for the most part, Chris has had a very normal uh, freshman year in college. He pledged to a fraternity. He's Lambda Chi up at, uh, up at TCU. Uh, Caroline's been doing her cheerleading as normal. Uh, hopefully, lacrosse can be close to normal. So, um, I mean, it, it really hasn't been – I can't say it's not been that hard on them but I'm proud of the way that they've responded to it because maybe there's something they've picked up during the time that they've been in the household with me that, that it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. That makes the difference. Mm, absolutely. You had talked about also, um, you know, one aspect of, of leadership, you had mentioned conflict, you know, um, how do you approach conflict resolution? And again, I just feel like with the longevity that you have had with one organization um, and the loyalty of the team, you must, like any relationship, marriage, business, professional, there are, there are conflicting times. You know, there are times, how do you deal with that and kind of resolving conflict and then also, you know, maintaining and enhancing those relationships? Yeah. I, I, relationships are so incredibly important. As you ascend in any organization, you less and less do things and more and more do people. And, and doing people requires a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence, of what they call uh, EQ. Your IQ is, you know, how smart you are. And the bad news on IQ is it's totally fixed. You can't improve it. You can't change your IQ. The good news is in business, you only need a modest amount of IQ. Uh, what you need a lot of is EQ, emotional intelligence, understanding your emotions and the triggers that cause you to go off and dealing with those and then understanding the emotions of others and finding ways to not trigger their emotions, keep everybody calm because the goal is to stay out of what they call amygdala hijack. And the amygdala was put in place when man started, when there were like saber toothed tigers and you had to have that instinct of, okay, uh, do I eat this or does it eat me? And if it eats me, I got to either fight or flight. And you really have to keep yourself out of that natural condition in order to have good relationships, in order to resolve conflict, in order to create you know, great partnerships. And so and you can develop it. It's not hardwired. It's not fixed, but it takes disciplined practice. You're doing things like keeping a journal each day and, and, and defining what are the things that really got me fired up, both good and bad. And remember next time when that happens to take a deep breath, it's all going to be okay. In fact, there's a book by the, there's a movie by the, by the name of uh, the best exotic Marigold hotel. It's actually a pretty good 
movie. I just happened to be on a flight um, coming back from the West Coast, and it was on. I turned it on. But there's this uh, there's this line. Sonny is the innkeeper, and he's from India. And he, I'll paraphrase. He says there's an Indian proverb that everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right right now, it just must not be the end. And that's really the core of emotional intelligence, staying calm, cool, collected. Don't let anybody get to you because nobody can get to you without your permission. And so embracing that is so incredibly important. Mm, I just wrote that down. You mentioned journaling also. Is that something that you do? Uh, Do you journal daily? Uh, I did at at one point in my career. I feel like I've developed uh, an ample supply of emotional intelligence. And I do find myself from time to time that I'm like, all right, this this could trigger me. So I'll take a deep breath. I'll walk away. You know, it's Christ-like, you know, turn the other cheek. Somebody slaps you, give them the other cheek, you know, and eventually – Nobody likes to beat up on somebody else. You know, when, when you lead with grace and kindness and uh, and concern for others, it just all seems to work out. Mm. Do you have a particular favorite uh, passage of the book or cha- or chapter? The one where you're like, "This is where I want to start," or "This is the one that I was really fired up fired up to write." Well, there's there's three that I'll give you. The uh, one was, I, I just love the story about uh, the time, even though it was incredibly taxing and painful, the, uh, the period uh, around Bob McNair's passing, all of what happened. When you read that story, you can't make that stuff up, that all of those things could happen in sh- such a short period of time. <clears throat> Packing my mom up in the middle of the NFL season, uh, bringing her to Houston, getting her settled. Bob McNair passes, having, you know, doing a a funeral service in NRG Stadium, which our staff has never done. It was really just a remarkable time in my uh, in my life. The second, what I think is the most important chapter. There are two. One is the chapter on handling adversity and handling success. My guarantee to you, if you read that and practice those four plays on either side, you can handle any adversity and any success. The challenge is people typically don't have the discipline and don't accept that it's as easy as those plays, but it is. And then number three is the, is the conclusion. In fact, I kind of playfully say, hey, uh, uh, I, now, you know, now that I'm at the conclusion, I'm not going to summarize everything because you've already read the book. But what I am going to do is tell you the three most important things that you need to know. And I go on to tell those three, um, but they are the three most important uh, elements of, uh, of being successful. Did you get to the end, put the book out, um, and again, which is amazing that it is, all for charity, and it's doing so well. Uh, congrats on all that. Did you get to the end, you read the whole book, start to finish, you finish with the three things, okay, Um what did you leave out? Now, what are you thinking about from book two? You know, right? You say, oh. <laughs> That's interesting because I do have a, a file of, because I got to a point that it had to be done, you know, the manuscript. And I kept coming up with, oh, gosh, I got to tell them that. Oh, I need to put that in there. So I just started a file of sequel. And, uh, and uh, we'll get around to that at some point in time. But I do think, you know, when I, when I think about books that I have really admired, uh, things like the seven habits of highly effective people, 
they're not, that's not a book. That's a platform, you know, or uh, good to great. That's not a book. That's a platform. And it's so applicable to so many pieces of, of everyday life that I see this book going the same direction. So it's uh, the winning game plan as it relates to your family, the winning game plan as it relates to your children, your, your marriage. I do think it will become a platform and that's where I see it going is applying the same principles in a, in a different environment. Mm-hmm. Now, I like that very much, which uh, again, makes you refer back to it, you know, as a platform, as a plan, as a playbook that you can keep referring back to, not simply just a narrative um, and, and entertainment, um, which it's both, but again, it's a tool, you know, for, for you to utilize. Yeah. My wife read the manuscript and she said, Jamie, this isn't just about business, not about leadership. This is how you lead our family. And that's where the light bulb went off. She's always smart like that. She knows stuff that I don't know. Um, well, I, I, no, I think it's an, it's an, it's a great point. I think is that how you also, again, approach, obviously, you know, with, with a book like this and, and let's can look at it and say that, I mean, shouldn't they all operate similarly? Family, again, fitness we've touched on, finance, um, business, food and nutrition. I mean, don't you, you need a playbook for all of it. Aren't they similar? Yeah, they are. I mean, there's fundamental principles that lead to success. And that's what I've tried to summarize because that's kind of been my quest for the Holy Grail. What is it that delivers success every time? The challenge is it's, it, it's easy to understand. It's hard to practice. It takes tremendous discipline. It takes a lot of time. It takes hard work. It takes confidence. It takes a positive self-image. It takes the desire of creating winning relationships. And most importantly, a burning desire to win. Uh, Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win that matters. Everybody's got that. It's the will to prepare to win. And I told that to one of my staff members uh, maybe 10 years ago. And she said, Jamie, most people don't even have the will to win. So it does take a burning desire to make it happen. Mm. Can we talk about the human element of, of all of this too? I mean, you've mentioned some pretty personal stories, the relationship with the McNair family, Mr. McNair's personal. Um, there are hirings and firings in your business all the time. There's public scrutiny. Everybody's a critic now, media, social media, general public. Um, how do you develop, I guess, a, a thick skin or not you know, take things personally, whether they're about you or even people that you genuinely care about? I mean, because yeah, I mean, high profile, but you're all real people. I mean, we've talked about your wife. We've talked about your kids. We've talked about all of these things. Um, you, do you read the paper? Do you pay attention to that? Do you address the personal element of it? You know, um, Bob McNair gave us a great tool to deal with the critics. And it's a, it's a quote from him that is in our Liberty White conference room. He's the one who came up with the name Liberty White. I came up with Deep Steel Blue and Battle Red. He came up with Liberty White. And in the Liberty White conference room, there's a quote from Bob that do you can't go wrong by doing what's right. And Sam Houston said, uh, courage is doing what's right and just accepting the consequences. So in I just 
you know, I just think that's the right way to live your life. Do what you believe is right. If it doesn't work out, learn from it and move on. And at some point in time, you know, all the critics, you know, hey, God love you. Come in here and do this. And they don't because they can't, you know. So, um, so that, you know, you, just, you, you do your best every day. You, you're able to put your head on your pillow. I think there was divine intervention when I was in graduate school. I was walking in the woods one day in my second year uh, in, in uh, Bloomington. And a line came to me and it was, God, grant me the energy to pop out of bed every morning and the peace of mind to be able to sleep at night. That's all I need. Mm. So, Jamie, we do this again in 15 years, okay? <laughs> we, we do this every 15 years now. Um, where are you? Well, you're going to have to come down to the beach. So, uh, now, I, I, I hope I uh, have several Super Bowl rings. I said the same thing to you. You were like, what do you want to do next? You had great success. I said, all that's left is winning a Super Bowl. And 15 years later, we're still chasing it. And uh, we'll continue to. Um, but it could be that I'm here. It could be that I'm uh, that I'm on a speaking tour and, and writing and and communicating with people in a way that I hope helps them, uh, or it could be a combination of both. Which beach? But it won't be. I'm not going to be running another soccer uh, uh, sports franchise. Hmm. Yeah. So which beach are we going to? So we have a what's house. Drawn, what's drawn up? We, we have a house down in Galveston that we love, and at some point in time, maybe even. During the time that I'm working here with the Texans, we might sell here in Houston and just move down there full time on the bay. Such a beautiful place, such great people. Um, in uh, it's, it's basically pirates, pirates uh, cove ish, and uh, just a lovely place. It's amazing, Jamie. I want to thank you so much for your time. I mean, you just you just get right to it. It all makes so much sense the way you articulate your game plan, the playbook uh, that you've put out there for us all. Um, and thank you again for, for doing this. It's just a privilege to, to get on your schedule and hear from you once again. And congrats on all your success. Well, Greg, I appreciate it. I appreciate the platform. I appreciate your friendship. I, uh, you know, we talk about raving fans and, and uh, you know, it's incumbent upon all of us to create raving fans. I'm a raving fan of you. And I appreciate you. You're, you're, you're the same with me. Well, thank you, guys. It is the Winning Game Plan, a proven leadership playbook for continuous business success. It is written by Jamie Roots. All of the proceeds go to charity. Which charity organization uh, does this go to? Yeah. It's the Houston Texans Foundation. And our focus is being the champions for youth in, in Houston. I think someone in every community has to take up the mantle of developing the next generation of leaders. And that's, that's the cause that we have uh, focused our time on. Fantastic guys. You can pick this book up pretty much anywhere. Um, books are sold. I'm looking at the Amazon link right now. And Jamie, you've also become pretty active on social media now with the book coming out, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, not hard to find. Right. 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 All those social media outlets. And I, you know, my primary, outlet is, uh, is LinkedIn. Just, uh, I, I do Facebook, you know, occasionally, particularly around game day, because, uh, that's a fun place to be, but, but the, the business professionals are getting a constant stream of just paragraph thoughts, things from the book, and I'll put them out there. If people like them, they like them. And if they don't, fair enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> Terrific. Thank you once again, guys. If you like what you hear on the Midlife Mail podcast, please give us that five-star rating. Leave a nice review. Pick up Jamie's book. And thank you once again. Until next week, I am Greg Scheinman. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Jamie, hang on for one quick sec. Let's let this upload. Give the people what they want. I don't want to lose any of these gems. And uh, thank you once again, my friend. All right, buddy. Great being with you, Greg.